Welcome to the Directing Animation Livecast with Scott Weiser. In my many years as an animator and director, my most defining projects have been my short film, Layers, along with Vanishing Ink and Cirque de Solitude, two books which I wrote, illustrated, and pitched at several studios as feature films. And I have more of these feature film pitches coming soon. Today's guest is one of my best friends and a wonderful, talented animator, David Wilson. David and I met several years ago when we were about to break into the animation industry. We both went on a road trip to CTNX together. And I remember specifically that a lot of times when I tell people about my directing dream, people would balk, but David just ran with it. <laughs> he instantly started pitching me ideas and telling people and introducing me as Scott wants to be a director and supporting that dream. And that has not changed. David has always been someone who with I can dream. And along our careers, we've helped each other get jobs, helped each other plot and, and come up with ideas of how to do different things. And it's it's just been a wonderful experience to know Dave. He's very talented. He has a breadth of experience. He's worked at several different locations like Moonbot, Disney Interactive, uh, Magic Leap more recently, Rainmaker Entertainment. He just, he's great. So is there anything, uh, anything I left out there, Dave, that you'd like to add? Sure, absolutely. Uh... <laughs> Happy to be a a father and a husband. So also I have four kids that I love very much, and they have been a major source of inspiration for me in becoming an animator and also in the things that I choose to animate. So I'm very happy that they are part of my animation course as well. Yeah. Yep. I would say the same thing, actually. Yep. <laughs> and it's been great to know your family. You know, I I know I've stayed with you for about two weeks when I was transitioning to the job up in, in Vancouver, and, and that was wonderful. So, yeah. Yep. Oh, so something else I failed to mention that I thought was very interesting, and <laughs> I don't know if you'll like this, <laughs> Dave, but one Go thing right that was ahead. very interesting is we've we've actually been together at CTNX for nine years. Yes. And, and we've both gone 10 years, so that's one year that we haven't spent with each other at CTNX. And I don't know that I've ever met anybody who has the same ability to just have this pulse on the entire event and what is going on and then you you bring all these connections together and these people together and just make really really cool things happening happen and mm -hmm. i i remember that i saw that in the first year and i just kept saying wow you have all these amazing abilities and i told you that so many times that i remember you started saying okay this is a bit much scott <laughs> you gotta, gotta tone down the compliments but mm -hmm. i really did see this this ability to be a producer and when when you told me that you wanted to do that up at, at Rainmaker, when they were kind of nurturing that that kind of talent up at that studio, mm -hmm. I, I just remember thinking, oh, that's the right fit. And then we've had several conversations about if I ever got to direct a feature animated film, which we would do remotely, about you being the producer. Mm -hmm. And so how how does that look to you? What, what do you think that would entail? Well, I think uh, going back to some of the things you had mentioned earlier, I really have a love of seeing other people's talents yeah. and seeing where they have an ability to shine. And I get really excited about a possible marriage of people's talents and, and ideas and abilities and bringing those together. As I look at so many ideas uh, that exist, I want, I want to see a lot of them come to fruition. And yeah. not necessarily that my hands have to be the hands that make the animation, that my hands have to be the, the ones that paint the painting or do... Um, uh, make all the decisions that are involved, but rather being part of helping a vision come to pass. And that's a lot of what I think the role of a producer is, is helping to, to shepherd a vision into, uh, into the world. 
And I, I have always been excited about the ideas that we've shared together. And so there's just a natural sense of like, oh, I want to see that happen. I want to see that happen. I know that there's this technology that would be perfect uh, to bring to the table to enable, to enable that vision or certain people or uh, talents or timing, even bringing together those pieces. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. It's cool to hear you explain it that way. I don't think I've ever asked you this question. So, <laughs> and, and this idea of, although the marriage thing that really sparked, that struck chord in me because my next guest is Michael Flaherty, who is mm -hmm. a huge producer in the, in the entertainment industry, he produced the Chronicles of Narnia series. And he was one of the co-founders of Walden Media that produced so many great movies. And he's yeah. the next guest. And that happened because of a suggestion from you. I hadn't even thought to look at him, but the more I learn about him, the more that seems like a great fit of somebody I'd, I'd want to work with. So why not have him on the show? <laughs> you know? And that was very much the experience that I had in seeing the work that he had done, uh, mm -hmm. the experience that he has. I was like, wow, this would be a wonderful relationship that feels very comfortable and in line with, with you, Scott and mm -hmm. the types of things and projects that you've been excited to create uh, and being able to learn from his experience and also share some of your vision, I thought would be a, a wonderful chance. So I'm happy to, to connect those dots there. Yeah. Yeah. We hope, we hope that uh, good things come with that one too. I'm excited for that conversation. The other thing that I was thinking about is we, we both have a good friend for years at CT next that we've, we've shared time with actually half the time, right? Five CT Nexus have been with Sean okay. Boyles, the great yes. character designer. Uh, he has just a very fresh style that is now finally starting to be recognized, right? But that came about because you invited him to table with him. He's not really a social media enthusiast, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> he just loves to draw. And he's he's got this huge voice, this wonderful personality. And, you know, it's like, we've got to share this with the world. So you had him table with you. And then he had, he had him table with you again. And, and you kept putting his work in the forefront. You actually put his book together. <laughs> Yeah, of, for uh, his book of sketches. Sean and I had the opportunity to live together, or not together, but live next to each other. Yeah. And there's so much excitement and just joy around him as he's creating these fantastic pictures, pictures. And I see them just popping out of the guy's hands, just, pop, yeah, pop, just pop, pop, like popcorn. And seeing that artwork again and again and again, making me just happy. Yeah. And I was like, Sean, can I put a book together for you? <laughs> and... Uh, he had worked on a project for me before, and I felt just I wanted to be able to do something for him. So putting that book together and inviting him to CTN was just a way of saying thank you for just the wonderful things that you've done, Sean, and also helping him to see the amount of people ready to support him, ready to just embrace the Seanness. <laughs> and it's it's been really really exciting to see that fire come alive as he's shared it with more and more people. And then other people get excited about his work. Yeah. And just, he just takes off. And that's, that's kind of what Sean is just this yeah. excitement, just ready to be seen. Well, then you put, you helped him put the first two books together and he actually took the initiative and did the third one after yeah. he, he was used to the whole process. And, and not that he doesn't take initiative, he's drawing all the time. He's amazing. And yep. then a really cool thing that happened this year, even though you weren't there, which, which is a little sad to us. Cause you're like our, our best promoter around the, the expo. But even though you weren't there, he just had all these people. He had all these recruiters from various locations. I, it was great to see him finally get the attention I thought he deserved. Mm -hmm. But it's because of those years of preparation. 
was those years of getting that experience and and finding his groove and knowing what his CTNX experience is like. And suddenly that we just see this guy getting offers from all all sides, which was really remarkable to see. And I got to table with him. <laughs> yep. And uh, and watch people as they went past my stuff and went to his. <laughs> Not always, but it was it was really a great reward. Yeah. So on the subject of remote remote work. <laughs> So we've talked about how if I direct a feature film, I'd like it to be a remote feature. Mm-hmm. And let's talk through what that would look like to you, How what functions you would like to play as a producer, and what things you think would necessarily need to be there for a remote film to succeed, a remote production. In the beginning, there needs to be conversations that we've had a, a number of times. Yeah. Is is the project something that's, that's worthy of that amount of time and attention and talent and asking ourselves, is it the right time? Is this the right medium? Is it the right set of circumstances bringing together those things? And I think as we've answered those questions and said, this is the right story and knowing that it needs to be told in an animation medium, you've proven yourself a number of times through your Kickstarters, your books that you've produced and illustrated, uh, all the concept art that's going into those and the attention that's kind of built and built and built towards the creation of a larger version of one of those stories or one of some of the additional stories that you've got kind of just boiling in a cauldron waiting to come out. Um, and so having the ability to gestate and talk about those things remotely gives it one, gives it a little bit of distance, which is kind of nice. It creates a little bit of time in between so that we can let something uh, gestate in between our conversations. But another thing is the talent uh, that is available is so amazing, but it's spread out. Yeah. And and to say like, oh, wow, I absolutely love Sean's work, who is currently living in Texas. I live in Florida. You live on the West, on the West Coast. It's like, wow, how... How can we bring together the talent that we really, really love and that we think is perfect for this uh, project if there's so much distance between us? And so not compromising because of distance, but rather uh, using the remote um, uh, talent resources that are available, different production processes and pipelines mm-hmm. in order to create something like this. Uh, you've had experience with a couple of those remote pipelines and how effective they've been for you. Yeah, Nimble Collective and... And briefly, I've looked at Artella, mm-hmm. and uh, but Nibble Collector was very involved with from the beginning. I pitched layers with them, and they helped me develop it, and we storyboarded that thing over and over and over again with their feedback. And uh, yeah, they, they were just a really supportive, and it was cool to see what they were building. Nibble Collector gives you the ability to work on a DreamWorks-level film, but you can live anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And I specifically chose DreamWorks because they were heads of animation at DreamWorks and a producer from DreamWorks. So... That's that's the reason I would pitch it at DreamWorks. It could be a Pixar level film, it could be a D- Disney level film, you know. But it's 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 really a cool concept to me to that someday somebody in Puerto Rico could work on a feature film that I'm directing, and I could I could collaborate with those amazing talents anywhere in the world. I, I really love that. Yeah, sure. and I think that it also allows you to create a platform as far as the tool sys- the tool set. Uh, sometimes. There's a lot of uh, back and forth with remote contractors who aren't able to have uh, their own copy or a different copy of Maya, uh, different tool sets. 
uh, needing to be able to share common brushes between artists so that there's a cohesive look and a cohesive palette sharing all the templates that are needed, uh, shot structure, and being able to have that uh, available right now through some of these remote processes, the remote pipelines, says these tools are already ready in your hands to deliver to artist A, artist B, script writer that are script writers that are collaborating, sound designers. Those pieces can come together very, very easily and fluidly from all different parts of the world. Yeah, you seem to really love the the nuts and bolts of a production. <laughs> Often in our conversations, you're always talking about that, like I'm doing this to get our team to be more effective and to be more efficient. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's fun. It's fun. It's it sounds like a producer to me. <laughs> well, uh, in large part, some of the roles that I'm I'm filling. Are, are as uh, uh, not just as an animator, but as a technical animator, lead animator, which the job is to bring together pieces um, from different areas or disciplines. At Magically, some of the really, really fun stuff that I was working on for augmented reality entertainment was to bring together game design, programming, and the models and rigs, as well as the animators. And because they were highly interactive experiences, you'd have systems that have to work these logic. Oh, sorry, you just broke systems. up right then. So you said oh. you have systems and then we, we lost the rest. Oh, so different uh, program systems, uh, artificial intelligence, and as well as the art assets themselves. And taking each of those, blending them together, making sure everybody understands their piece of the puzzle and how it fits to, together. with How it fits together. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. So you did break up again. <laughs> oh. But it's okay. I've been listening very carefully. So awesome. We were talking about building puzzles. We were talking about building puzzles. <laughs> I've got to just get my train of thought back here. <laughs> I was like, we're going to lose David. Oh, no. <laughs> no. So, yeah, I, I, uh, one idea that I thought of that I haven't really shared with very many people. And I think so, so something we might lose by doing a remote production is that, that proximity, that ability that at Pixar, you could just run into anybody at random and, and have those kinds of conversations that are very random and different things, different ideas can spark. Mm. And so I'd love to have, uh, things that solve that. I also think that I, I kind of have thought all along that if I do a remote film, that we need a core team that is able to see each other in person. <laughs> we speak about this during the quarantine, right? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I think there's always something that happens when you have like minds that are close to each other that you can really, really read each other's body language. You can grab ideas and books that are just near you and say like, oh, I got to show you this thing and let you play with it and feel it um, and very tactily uh, have those conversations. As we've gotten together for CTN, those have been some of the hotbeds for ideas Yeah, where all of a sudden you have this group of talent together and we're excited by these ideas and new ideas are formed, new thoughts or new perspectives about ideas that we've had in the past. Those have been some of the, my favorite conversations as we've revisited things that we want to achieve and then have a new focused vision because of those uh, conversations that we've had in person in a kind of a focused setting. But those are becoming easier and easier to have through remote remote access, whether that be a virtual meeting using VR and AR or having these collaborative meetings like we're having right now with the video chat. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I actually would like, you know, as a director, I would like in future productions to have an opportunity where people just can come chat with the director and they can bring up 
things that they're worried about. It would just be a listening session for me. I would just go and listen, right? Mm-hmm. To get a pulse on, on things. You know, I was possibly thinking, you know, you could have common chat rooms and, and just different ways to get people collaborating in ways that they can't very commonly when they're remotely. Uh, you and I both did Animation Mentor. And I think you did a brick and mortar. Yeah, you did brick and mortar as well before yes. education. Mm-hmm. And then you go to that, that animation school and all of a sudden it's like, I, I felt like I lost something huge. And it took a while now that I've done several different online education experiences to really start to get that back. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that excites me the most about being in a studio is always looking at the screen next to me. Yeah. yeah. When, <laughs> when we're animating, I'll look over and I'll see the screen of Jonathan Mungangil and say, wow, Jonathan has this really, really expressive turn. I think I want to integrate that into the next piece of animation that I do on the same character. Yeah. And it, it happens just as a spark of me looking over, seeing something opportunistically, and then being able to pull in that idea or hear a conversation that's being had to the side and say, whoa, that's a great idea. I think we could take that and apply it. And so hearing some of those ideas in a studio setting, seeing the person's monitor next to you, small conversations that happen uh, during lunch. Those are are so, so valuable. They are. They definitely are. I wonder if you, like, if uh, just an idea came to my head as you're talking about this, about replicating (laughs) that virtually. It'd be, I don't know how it would be. How do you think it would be (laughs) to have a situation where we have 10 people, five people, who just can come in and out of like a, a common virtual space where they can share their screens and just let everybody see what's going on on the screen as just as they're working and just kind of sit and work together and kind of look over, Oh, what's, uh, what's Dave up to right now? You know, what's, what's Brandon Oldenburg up to right now? You know? So those, those tools do exist in several spaces in kind of different ways. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of the ways that are really, really exciting are through Oculus and yeah. uh, Vive uh, with virtual reality and also with HoloLens and Magic Leap. They have created apps uh, like Spatiate for Magic Leap where we could hold r- remote meetings. Mm-hmm. And uh, during quarantine, especially, you look at instances where I can be in one room, get together with uh, Musin, who is an art director uh, for environments, and we want to take a, take a look at different images. And he can pull images into a, a room that we're both able to occupy or come back to leave notes, jot them down in that space and leave them posted up in that room, come yeah. back to it a little bit later, add something to it, be able to talk to each other remotely in augmented reality and also uh, virtual reality. Those are really interesting spaces that you can create around ideas and have one idea for Cirque de Solitude, another idea room for Invisible Ink. Vanishing Ink. Vanishing Ink. Vanishing Ink. Um, I I can't take credit for Invisible Ink. Great book. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It's a book so I reread how- over and over and over again. So. <laughs> so as you have different rooms that that can exist virtually, those those chat spaces can be a, a fun place. Yeah, I agree. Oh, another another matter we really need to touch on too, because we're talking about you know all these nuts and bolts. Where you build a studio, if it's a remote studio or a brick and mortar studio, you're building a a group of people, and you know we have this situation where you and I both have moved all over the place. 
because we work on a project and then the layoffs come and then we work on another project and the layoffs come. And recently you've had some more layoffs, right? And I would like to come up with ideas and I don't know what those ideas are exactly to just make sure that we, when we move to remote, we don't make people more expendable. We mm-hmm. make them less expendable. You know, we, we care more about giving them the opportunities and letting them build what we're building together, right? Yeah, I think I think that that can come as you have a culture that's around projects that are mm-hmm. that are created, and as you have a collaborative nature in creating one one step of the process, and you bring in more and more people, they they become part of that culture. And as you bring in people and they enjoy working in the space that you create, that's it's it creates a kind of magnetism to yeah. say, I want to come back. I want to repeat this. This is a lot of fun. Every time I'm involved in a project with Scott, with Dave, with Sean, with all of these different people, you feel the kind of energy that they have and, and want to be near it. Or you're like, ah, no thanks. I don't want to try that again. Yeah, and yeah. So as, as you have projects, it always creates a culture. Um, and as you have a remote project that's spinning up, you can still create culture by the spaces that are created, by the opportunities that you give artists, by uh, the way that they feel enabled to do their jobs. Yeah. Um, and in creating that space and that culture, there's definitely a sense like next time I have an opportunity, I want to get close to that magnet again. Yeah, yeah. that's a very good point. And I actually, uh, I was thinking firsthand of a, a certain time where I built a remote team for another company. Mm-hmm. And there was, you know, it was a very interesting, it was a different environment, not not the kind of environment I'm used to for artists that really nurtures and makes really cool things happen. And so I always mm-hmm. felt like I, I was acting as like the shield from that. Mm-hmm. And I would spend extra time like calling each of the team members that needed help and, and listening and talking to them and just making sure they had all the tools they needed so we could take their talent and move it to the next level and actually help them feel like they were being fulfilled. And I really like that idea because we live in, in a world that could be really harsh sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. With, with this COVID-19 situation right now and, and that sort of thing. But at the same time, we can create these little spaces where magical things can happen. And that's really inspiring. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned, you know, there are definitely times in a production where every production gets hard and gets difficult. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but... It's it, there's a, a way of working through difficulties. There's a way of listening uh, to the team members and saying like, you know what, I I understand that this is a big friction point. Um, how can it be solved? Or do we need to remove or shift part of the process? Understanding how each voice contributes and affects one another. Say, you know what, let's make sure that you get the best, most focused communication possible to be able to work effectively if if it's not being received. And so working through uh, difficulties is often just as valuable as just working to, to do your job. I think that <laughs> way, the way uh, in some productions, we have, I've had producers shield us um, as the animators, as the artists, that shield us from some of the more, more difficult um, and taxing decisions. And I felt really, really grateful. But at the same time, they communicate and let us know the whys for the decisions that are being made. So yeah. we understand, oh, this is really going to help the story. I think this is really going to make a better project. Or if a resource disappears, like, why did that happen? That was my favorite tool to use. Well, 
this is getting all cheap on me now. No, <laughs> rather they under, they can understand the decisions that are being made holistically towards the the best end goal. Yeah. And I think being able to share and and also shield is a valuable thing to do for for a team. That's really cool. And I like how you point out that every project is going to have that. I think it was oh, yeah. Ron Howard in his master class. He talks about how every project you do will find some way to breaking your heart. <laughs> Absolutely. Things and, will uh, go wrong. Yes, things will for sure. And I, I know that from experience. I, I can see why the stuff that I've been doing with all these projects are kind of, it's kind of a rare thing because every time I do it, it's like you put this thing out into the world. And then sometimes, depending on what feedback you get, it can feel like a death emotionally. <laughs> like here's this beautiful mm-hmm. thing I created and it, it's dying now, you know. <laughs> And other times it can feel really exciting. It's like, oh, oh, some things you thought maybe have died a little bit come back to life and, and surprise you in, in interesting ways. And, and yeah, I think that those are the kinds you de- kind of things you definitely want to share with a team. And then, uh, yeah, there's there's a fine line between sharing and, and shielding when it comes to what we're doing with our with our teammates. I really that was a really great example. And it also leads very well into my next question. And this is kind of more of a theory question. So I'm reading this book right now. Truffaut, okay. Hitchcock. Actually, it's Hitchcock Truffaut. I was looking at it backward. <laughs> and it was Francois Truffaut, who became a legendary filmmaker, interviewing Alfred Hitchcock, who was already a legendary filmmaker, and just wonderful insights in this book. Mm-hmm. And one thing that really just struck me is every single film, he's able to go and he's like, here's the flaw in that film. Here's all the things that went right. Here's, you know. Here's how things could have been a little bit better. This film ranks above this film. Like he's able to see so many things because he directed 54 films. Mm-hmm. And that was a... Sorry, I just I just saw a question. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll address, address it if there's time. Okay. But the, the idea of this was you have Hitchcock, you have you know, Frank Capra, you have Cecil B. DeMille, you have all these filmmakers who were able to just make film after film after film after film after film after film after film. And now we're in a, in a zone where films are so expensive to make. It's a little bit more difficult to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd like to have, have a discussion on this principle of the, that experience that you get from doing multiple things. I know we, we had a guest. It was, I think it was Robert Kondo who talked about this analogy of this class. And I think it actually really was an experiment where they had half the class designed the perfect pot and half the class designed or just did many pots they could possibly do. And that half was actually the half of the class that did the most interesting and the best pots. Because it well, was which, which half? The, the half that were asked to make as many pots as possible. Okay. And we see this throughout the industry, right? We see Pixar, you know, storyboarding, not just Pixar, but we storyboard the films five times over. We just mm-hmm. make the film over and over and over again. And a cheap character designer who just, like Sean Boyles, who just cranks out all these drawings so many yeah yeah in in search of the one that really sparks the director's uh, creativity and and what is appropriate for the story i think through listening to the voices or or the feelings that come at those early early stages and Mm -hmm. being able to take risks and at a very small you know pain threshold (laughs) discarding storyboards of saying you know what this scene should be moved to the end and we need to shift this and also cut off the last two minutes. And that's a lot less painful to do in, in early processes when you're writing the script, when you're storyboarding, than when you already have the characters rigged and animated mm-hmm. and the lighting has come in 
and the effects has done a pass on it. And you're like, changing this now is going to hurt a lot and it's going to hurt a lot more people. So being able to um, have open conversations, to be able to have really, really honest uh, feedback loops in the storyboard phases is really, really helpful. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and, and that way you can make 20 different movies and realize that Amic we're going to need seven movies because we're so <laughs> excited about this character and, and realizing the potential of characters. Yeah. Um, sometimes you're like, wow, I didn't know how important this small little character was mm-hmm. unless we give it time to explore. Like the Minions movie, like Despicable Me, yeah. having Despicable Me 2 and then the, the Minions movie saying like, what, what if we just live with these Minions? What kind of a story could we tell? Yeah. And they've done well, <laughs> for sure. So here's a question from a, an audience member. We don't do these very often, but I just think it's a good thing to do sometimes. Yeah. So this person is named Rignar. That's their username. And they asked, what is the most challenging skill adjustment going from Moonbot to Magic Leap? Um, as, we, as we take a shift from Moonbot to Magic Leap, there was a wonderful wonderful um, focus on delivering these beautiful shorts. And then there was a a need to understand the medium, the medium that was being used. And in Magic Leap, you're not telling a story on a screen anymore. Mm -hmm. You're telling a story that's played out in space and understanding the nature of um, telling a story in space and, and at different scales becomes really, really important. So having a new understanding of a of a new medium was was really really important in making an adjustment from Moonbot over to Magic Leap, yeah. and and then embracing some of the technical adjustments and learnings that needed to be had in order to deliver something effectively. That was so much fun. Um, those challenges came up and said, like, "Wow, this isn't working the same way it does in film. Why yeah. isn't this working to animate the same way?" And and then saying, oh, I need to animate so that a character has broader awareness of the things that are around them, not just of a single camera point. Yeah. So it was really, really fun to understand the new medium of, of augmented reality or uh, spatial computing, depending on how you want to say it. Yeah. Well, we've also had conversations of, uh, as you were, as you're going through that, of, you mm-hmm. know, presentational theater, where it's like, here's the stage, there's the audience. And then you also yes. have theater in the round mm-hmm. where the audience is all around you. And having, you know, in all the, the theater experience I did in the past, that was a remarkable experience. And it gave you a different energy. And mm-hmm. it just, it really changed the entire storytelling process. Yeah, very much so. So the, yes. the second part of this question is, what are you planning to do next? And you and I have had several conversations about that. We'll just say that the future is bright. <laughs> we We are so excited about all the different ways that there are to tell stories, both interactively and also narratively. And um, that really is the question that I'm looking to answer and say, what is the space uh, for telling the next stories? And Mm -hmm. some places, I really love the diversity of the way they tell stories and the diversity of uh, mediums that are used. And others they are so beautifully crafted towards one specific medium that it's just an honor to be playing in the same area. So those are some of the things that are exciting to me to say, 
who is really using a medium really well. Yeah, that's that's cool. Inspiring. I'm excited to see what you do next. (laughs) Yeah, likewise. (laughs) I, I know that I'm working on a shot just right here, and I'm thinking about it. So this right now could be done in a third person camera, but could it be told in other ways as well? Um, and how effectively or how would I need to change the animation for it to be used effectively? And I think that, um, one artist that I, I look to in particular is Jake Parker. Now, Jake yeah. Parker does a lot of things fantastically, but if you ask him about his planning for projects, he'll usually choose to do a project if it can work in multiple mediums. Mm-hmm. If it works as a print, if it works in a book, if it works as a comic or as a, a graphic novel or as a short film or as a feature film or as a game or as a web series, as a board game, as blah, blah, blah. And so ideas can start popping. And so if you have an idea that can live in multiple mediums, that's really fun. Yeah. Okay. So our last question is mm-hmm. now it's the get wiser moment evolved because of David Wilson. <laughs> I I had a conversation with you one day where we were talking about that get wiser moment because it's one of the most important things to me and my brand this this intense deep search for truth and i was okay. asking the question a certain way and you you pointed out something about the question and i was like hmm so i thought about it a few days and the question has now evolved so the question used oh, to be okay yeah the question used to be what moral responsibility does a filmmaker have to the world now it has changed to if my desire is to have the greatest potency of truth in my film what approach would you recommend? Wow, that question has changed. And all of a sudden, <laughs> it's. Can you repeat the question just so I make sure I'm answering the right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> yeah. If my goal is to have the greatest potency of truth in a film or a story, mm-hmm. what approach would you recommend? Um, I think there would be two, two aspects. I would, one, be asking myself as a creator, how honest am I? towards this perspective that's being shared and also the character that is in the story is the character allowed to be honest and to be themselves in within the confines of the story a crafting or shaping i'm pushing their their narrative somehow in order to make my story come about and i think those times that i find myself animating and feeling the most alive, feeling the most excited is when the character is doing the talking. Yeah. And that as I'm animating, it's just letting their actions come out. And the same thing will happen in a story that is being told through honesty. The more as a creator, we're honest with ourselves and the feelings and perspectives that we have, uh, the better enabled we are to let uh, other characters that we create have their own same honesty. Yeah, um, it's a it's a great point too. I think you mentioned Brian McDonald's book earlier. Uh, he often mm-hmm. says that you are a slave to your film and not the master. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, which really jives with what you're saying. And also, he says, "Don't judge your characters." <laughs> too often, we're like, "Oh, you're you're such a that character's such a jerk. Why would why would that character do that?" And it's like, and then you want to back off. Like, there are a lot of films right now that they're like, oh, we don't want this main protagonist to be this, 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 or this, or this. And mm-hmm. so they make this character that has no growing to do. And then it's like, well, why, why write a story? 
You know? yeah, <laughs> Why go on a, this journey with this person if they're not going to grow, if they're already perfect? There's a really great example of that as we were producing um, a number of the characters in the cast of Create. Create was a uh, augmented reality sandbox experience for Magic Leap 1. And one of the characters that we were developing was a, a cloud, Cloudy, whose personality was the core. And it would roam around the space in different moods. And as we animated one test that we thought felt good, it was art director approved, there were still some push towards more expressiveness in this cloud. And it it started to not feel right with the animators. And we were just kind of like, ugh, 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 trying to stay within the confines uh, of this test that was approved. And as we saw a few additional tests that let go of some of those restrictions, it was like, wow, there was a lot of honesty that came as the cloud was allowed to be a little poutier. And then the cloud was also allowed to be happier. And it was just a, just the happiest cloud. And it was like, wow, that, that cloud is really, really happy and is really, really sad and is really, really angry and is really, really blasé. And if we had... If we had lived within the narrow, narrow confines of that character, it would not have been as expressive. And then realizing that that, that was the goal of that character was to express itself. To, I'm so upset, I'm just going to zap, zap a knight, or zap a T-Rex, or, you know what, I'm so happy, I just want to sh share rainbows. And so it would share rainbows with, with other characters in the experience, and it felt so much more true to have additional amounts of emotion expressed through the animation. So I'm really grateful for pushing some boundaries just a little bit to be more true, to be more honest, and not holding it back. Yeah. I hope playing that game is as fun as watching you describe it. <laughs> <laughs> that was oh. delightful. I actually want to share... <laughs> <laughs> animators we usually don't share our video reference for a reason <laughs> yeah those clips of me acting like barbie they're hidden <laughs> so um so i worked on barbie spike squad that's what i i don't just walk around acting like barbie but so here's another thing that actually i didn't expect to share but i in this this trufo hitchcock book mm -hmm. it's really cool and i think it ties into this idea of the greatest potency of uh truth he talked about a film he made called Saboteur. He said, I would like to say that that script lacks discipline. I don't think I exercised a clear, sharp focus to the original constructions, the clique, but they weren't sorted out in proper order. They weren't selected in sufficient care. I feel the whole thing could have been pruned and tightly edited long before the actual shooting. It goes to show mm -hmm. that a mass of ideas, however good they are, is not sufficient to create a successful picture. They've got to be carefully presented with a constant awareness of the shape of the whole. And this raises a big problem in American filmmaking the difficulty to find a responsible writer who is competent at building and sustaining the fantasy of a story. I thought that was really brilliant. I was like, that's one of the keys of the things, the thing that I'm looking for, <laughs> the great, greatest potency of truth. I think that there's a lot of wisdom there in saying like that the characters and the scenes need to be understood in the context of a whole one very, very early on so that you take those broad strokes and see how much honesty is there, how much uh, clarity and how you relate to those different scenes. And you can say, you know what? That character's got to go. They're too much fluff. 
they they don't lead the they don't lead the characters to make better decisions or uh, or the story doesn't progress with them in it. And so, uh, as we t- look at the story through broad broad strokes, we can understand how characters need to evolve and change. And like uh, Truffaut was mentioning there, just didn't give the character enough chance to become sharp and crisp. Yeah. So that it could be the most effective character inside a story. Yeah. Yeah. Just taking those broad strokes early really helps. Yeah. I mean, the more that I, the more that I write stories, the more time I spend in the outline phase, because <laughs> that's where <laughs> everything is the most flexible and where we can really hone things in. So, and that's a great thought to end this with. And thank you so much for being on the show, Dave. Is there some place you want people to connect to you? Absolutely. I can be found on Twitter as Dave Illustration, D-A-V-I-L-L-U-S-T-R-A-T-I-O-N, Dave Illustration, and also as David Wilson Animation dot blogspot. There are two David Wilson animators, and I'm usually the more family friendly of the two. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> well, awesome. And as you know, you can connect with me on scottweiser.com slash follow. That's my mailing list. Or I'm on Instagram as Scott K. Weiser. So until next time, enjoy. You have been watching the Directing Animation Livecast with Scott Weiser. Produced by Lauren Chaikin. Audio version edited by Kiera Horowitz. Copyright Scott Weiser LLC 2020.